Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And great to be with you again here today on AOA, Agriculture of America, as uh, I'm spending a little time at the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville, Kentucky, here today. A great show again this year. It is just full of folks who are checking out new equipment and uh, much, much more here throughout the Kentucky Expo Center. And so uh, we're going to be spending some time out on the floor here later today and talking with folks and learn about new products. So I'm looking forward to that, but I'm also looking forward to today's program here on AOA. Coming up here in segment two, we're going to listen to a recent conversation I had with Dave Hightower from the Hightower Report. He had some interesting things to say about uh, the ag economy in general, so looking forward to that. In segment three, we're going to get an update from Justin Tupper with the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. He's speaking at the USDA Ag Outlook Forum here today and tomorrow in Washington, D.C. We're going to talk about cattle industry issues with him, and then at the end of the program, we're going to talk to Tillman White with the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol and learn more about enrollment for the Cotton Trust Protocol and much more. So great show lined up for you here today on AOA. Speaking of the uh, Ag Outlook Forum, we got some new baseline numbers out from USDA bright and early Thursday morning. How's that impacting the markets? Let's talk about it. Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics, is joining us here today on AOA. Mike, good to talk with you again. And Looking at those Ag Outlook Forum numbers, the corn ones kind of surprised me a little bit. They were a little more friendly than I thought they were going to be, Mike. Yeah, I think the USDA, and, and this is going to be interesting to hear uh, what you have to say, Jesse, at the Farm Machinery Show, because 2024 is lying up to one of those years, unless you got a lot of technology on that big iron, is this going to be one of those shows where you do a lot of looking and not very much buying because USDA's forecast really does hinge upon this sharp decline in farm incomes that's expected this coming year. And that means the no bean dece corn ratio, you know, spend as little as possible. What has gone down the most in terms of cash prices? And it's really been the corn uh, in the market as far as Illinois and also for the December future. So USDA tapped into that, bringing in an acreage base that was about 700,000 uh, acres less than some of the average trade guesses on the newswires to 91 million. That's still about 700,000 bigger than what I think it's going to be if we hold this current bean corn ratio through the second half of February. So that's one of the major things to be watching. Beans, they, they came in 900,000 acres bigger than average trade guess at 87.5 million. And on the wheat side as well, wheat was down a little bit on the planted acreage, but pretty much in line with expectations. Mike, you and I talked about this on uh, the Market Talk program Wednesday afternoon. We kind of had that Valentine's Day type massacre in the markets on Wednesday. And then you get these USDA Outlook Forum numbers here on Thursday. But overall, this kind of mindset of commodity deflation is, is holding in these markets the funds don't have a reason to get out of their short positions here. And you made the comment to me that we almost have to feed the bear. Talk about that a little bit. Well, you know, my first Ag Outlook meeting was either 1998 or 1999. And what I quickly picked up from the people that were training me and teaching me about Ag Econ is, is that what does the average price look like from USDA on these big updates? And that's where the wheat comes into play the most, Jesse. And feed the bear means you better have some negative news, price news, to continue to keep this kind of a price action, this trend going. And, and I say that gently because we haven't seen China come back from the Lunar New Year. So that's a big deal in the next few days. They should be back up and running pretty much full speed by a week from today. But the average price on wheat from USDA this morning was $6 a bushel. That's an SRW price. The cash software at wheat price right now in, say, northwestern Ohio near the Lake Erie area is around five forty. So you're $0.60 cents underwater compared to the USDA average cash price. So why wouldn't you find, if you were the market, to say to yourselves, well, we've done our job. We've taken the market uh, price down to the point where we're 60 cents lower than the USDA's average cash price this morning. And I think that and a couple other features um, still makes wheat very much my leader in terms of forming a medium term low that I can count on for the row crops. In terms of these row crops, do we have to go a little bit lower 
potentially to try and find some support to get any sort of bounce here in this window? Mike, what do you think? What are the charts telling you? You know, you brought up the word deflation, and I'm glad you did, Jesse. I think the charts are saying you could, but I think this report, once again, total usage on corn this year, USDA is up a percent. Total usage on beans, we're up 6%, thanks a lot to uh, almost an 8% jump in biodiesel. And then the uh, the, the wheat uh, total usage is up over 2%. We don't need to go any lower. We're not uh, losing demand at these prices. We're actually picking up demand in terms of year over year. I would also say, what does the USDA 181 corn yield do for the market when we just made a record high 177.3 and the five-year average is 173? You know, 181 is a stretch. That's how I'm looking at it. So we could shave 300 million bushels off that 25 billion bushel carryover very, very easily just because USDA pushed us so high on the national yield this upcoming year. So there's a couple things I'm looking at. I know I'm going to, as I talk with folks here at the Farm Machinery Show, I think one of the things I'm going to be curious to, to hear about or listen for is, you know, what they're doing in terms of their marketing. I just don't think there's many easy answers for quite a few folks here right now at some of these price levels, at least on the 23 crop, if they haven't sold the 23 crop, Mike. A hundred percent agree. My, my best marketers I work with did not get what they wanted to get done this year but as compared to 2022. So we are really behind the gun eight, at this point for 23 and now 24. And I think that's where uh, the deflationary mindset, feeding the bear mindset really does rest with the Chinese policy and the Federal Reserve policy as much as it does the supply demand fundamentals, maybe even more. And that's why I always talk about the funds versus the fundamentals. How about over in the livestock trade? I know you've been tracking some things on the cattle side, finding some good correlations uh, on charts there. Uh, it looks like we're kind of mixed on Thursday. Any thoughts in the cattle trade? Yeah, I, the net negotiated cash lost a couple bucks. It seems like in light trade, I think that's a really good a barometer for what the futures and the funds are looking at right now, Jesse. Also, that uh, that uh, cutout market is is starting to leak a little bit more. Makes sense with Lent. I, I would put a lot of pressure on the weekly close in the fat cattle because we tried to take out last week's highs and failed. We were able to do that in the feeders, but not the fats. I know we're a little quieter on Thursday, but also thinking back to Wednesday, that cattle hog spread uh, was working overtime, it felt like, on Wednesday's trade, Mike. Yeah, and you know, they had a reason to do it on the export sales this morning, 83% higher on pork export sales versus last week, compared to down 19% on the beef side. China was the number two buyer on both, taking 27% of pork and 22% of the total beef sales this week. I was very surprised and very happy to see that given their Lunar New Year holiday. Very true. Very true. Mike, uh, final thoughts. What do you want to reiterate to folks? What do you want to drive home here as we uh, get to the end of the week? Well, if we can't get a low in the wheat market, it's going to be, I think, because of the macro fundamentals. Just keep your eye on the wheat at this point, because that 47 million planted acres is a half million less than the trade was thinking coming into this morning. So I really do think that low needs to come in the wheat first, Jesse. All right. Global.com with two M's, research.com. That is where you can find Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. Mike, always great to talk with you. Thanks for joining us on AOA. Have a great time in Louisville. I will do my best here. We are at the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville. We're going to be spending some time on the floor today, but coming up here on the rest of the program, we got some great conversations, including up next, a recent discussion I had with Dave Hightower from the Hightower Report. That's next on AOA. On February's episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we discussed the relationship between the corn and poultry and egg industries with John Del Monte from NCGA, along with Mary Alice Kane and Jenna Gress from the USA Poultry Egg Export Council, known as USAPEAK. We are a trade association. We represent the U.S. poultry and egg industry who exports, and we represent all sectors. Anyone who's touched by exports and is involved in the industry can be a member of USAPEAK. From corn's perspective, uh, obviously the poultry industry is a uh, you know, as a big customer. So as Mary Alice and Jenna both spoke to, you know, exports are obviously an area that they specialize in. Exports account for 28 cents a bushel to the value of corn. So corn has a very vested interest in what poultry exports are doing. Join us the first Wednesday of every month for the monthly grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss.
Every day, our brave military men and women, along with their families, make tremendous sacrifices for our freedom. Patriotic Hearts, a nonprofit organization, is dedicated to supporting these heroes and their families in their times of need. By donating your unwanted card to Patriotic Hearts, you'll be supporting job transition and job fair programs, veteran entrepreneurship, counseling, and retreats for combat veterans and their spouses. Call 800-560-3870. You'll receive a tax deduction and we'll arrange a free pickup at your convenience. Imagine the difference you can make in the lives of those who have given so much for our country. Your car donation will directly impact military families, veterans, providing them with the support they desperately need. Call 800-560-3870. You can become a part of something bigger. Join us in our mission to uplift and honor our military community. Call 800-560-3870 to donate your unwanted card. A promise is potent, born of intention, fueled by commitment. It's seeing things through, always showing up. And we know a thing or two about promises here at Susan G. Komen. Over 40 years ago, we locked arms with you toward one vision, a world without breast cancer. By investing in life-saving research and standing up for patient rights, we are shifting the system so all people everywhere get the care they deserve. Because if you've just been diagnosed and don't know where to turn, we've got you. If you can't afford the treatment you need, we've got you. And if you are driven to raise money to honor the best friend you've just lost, we have a place for you here because of you. We're supporting those who need help today while tirelessly searching for tomorrow's cures. Ending breast cancer needs all of us. Visit Komen.org and be a part of the Susan G. Komen community today. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA. Jesse Allen here. Well, I've been teasing this interview for a couple of days. Last week while I was in Nashville for the agmarket.net conference, I was able to sit down for a few minutes with Dave Hightower from the Hightower Report and get his thoughts on the general market picture, the overall ag economy, and more. Really great conversation. Here is that interview with Dave Hightower with the Hightower Report here on AOA feels like a, a lot of folks have have just gotten very bearish in this market right. and that's where the sentiment is and it's thinking about putting a crop in this year a lot of these uh, guys and gals who are here at this conference they're worried about cost of inputs and the price in the market and everything and just not the not the greatest feeling i guess so to speak but let's talk about that share what you're looking to tell folks here today i mean i know a lot of people are focused on the bottom and where that bottom's going to be. But you mentioned to me, you're kind of more like, okay, looking at what's going to signal that bottom. Talk about that a little bit, Dave. Well, I would uh, throw out an idea to the uh, corn and soybean growers at their annual meetings, and that would be to uh, take a page out of the book of OPEC, um, in which uh, the farmers can get long this market in futures and then have a discussion at their annual meeting that they're going to hold back 15% of the acreage uh, because that's really what happens in the oil market is that <laughs> OPEC comes up with ways to make the price go higher. But mm -hmm. uh, without that, uh, it, there are several things. We, we were uh, very unfortunate in terms of the U.S. farmer uh, that uh, production out of Ukraine was not more damaged and longer term damaged. Uh, but there is still uh, their assets, their their funding, their seed, their fertilizer, the diesel, all that's still very difficult to come by. And uh, I was at a conference in in uh, Bulgaria uh, with Russians and Ukrainians in the same room, and the uh, Ukrainians were very upbeat. They talked, uh, "Look, this is our situation. This is our reality, and we have to figure out a way to uh, live through it." Uh, but, you know, there's going to be a little bit of, uh, of uh, issue there. Uh, they now have ways to get the supply out besides the Black Sea. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's not optimal. So that's one flashpoint that I could see. Uh, unfortunately, another flashpoint is China, which is showing mm -hmm. real problems, real problems. And I, I wonder if the uh, Chinese President Xi is going to make it through this even. 
But you know, when uh, China catches a cold, uh, or when China sneezes, the rest of the world catches a cold, and particularly in commodities, and particularly in the grain markets. Uh, so what I would be looking at when we come in for a, for a bottom, we have to, everyone talks El Nino, okay? Mm-hmm. And I've been doing this 40 years, and I've yet to really see a noted impact from El Nino uh, and even La Nina uh, on the U.S.-grown commodities. Where you want to look is in Southeast Asia. Uh, you want to look in the uh, palm oil area. Um, you want to look at the soft commodities like cocoa and sugar and coffee. Uh, and we've already seen the uh, coffee, sugar, cocoa markets have, uh, were one of the best performers last year because the market saw this adverse weather mm-hmm. and it did hit crops. It hit crops, coffee crops in Vietnam. Uh, and so it can also have a little bit of an impact on South America. But uh, I think that's one thing to watch because energy, palm oil, very significant driving force for corn and soybeans. Mm-hmm. And we've seen the help from the ethanol industry and the biodiesel area. And, uh, you know, palm production is six, seven, or eight times, depending on what year, the size of uh, all, all, all U.S. production. Mm-hmm. And if you combine all the edible oils besides palm oil, they, they, they are a fraction. So if you have a problem in the palm production, it could be an exponential impact on soybean oil, then the entire complex uh, shifts back up. So I would be watching that very closely. And also, it's the oil market. Sure. Uh, we could see a uh, we could see a 40 cent rally in corn. Uh, you know, I remember uh, farmers telling me uh, the markets aren't trading fundamentals. And that was because we went such a bad through a bad period where it was so bearish and we were overproducing that the markets were just going down off everything. Uh, but now it may not trade fundamentals because it may leap higher without really changing the supply and demand balance sheets in the U.S. So oil, um, uh, Southeast Asia, uh, and, you know, I, I think China's going to make it through. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're still a huge consumer of commodities, and, and that's, uh, that's going to happen. And, uh, you know, I, I, we are getting some rain in the, uh, in the, in the wheat areas that have kind of got us away from that issue. But, but uh, I would say this, um, when you're hedging, uh, you don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And when you look at where prices are, we're in the lower 25% of the market, and we have record spec and fund shorts in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't mean that additional specs and funds that have never traded, they could come in. Uh, But now we're at a point where most of the people that characteristically trade are short the market. And so that should slow the downside. But what happens is when that fulcrum changes, you're going to have hundred, not maybe a hundred thousand, but certainly tens of thousands of contracts. They're going to be stopped out, mm-hmm. and so it's it's not going to be a rally that maybe maintains. Uh, but I'm going to have some strategies today to position them for that because I think, uh, like this conference, farming for profit instead of looking at that price of corn and soybeans and putting a marketing target on it. Um, I think strategy over opinion is what, mm-hmm. what helps people survive. Are you worried about the conflict in the Middle East adding volatility, especially in that oil market here in the short term, uh, potentially, Dave? Absolutely. I mean, uh, we have to realize uh, that even confronted with an overwhelming force, uh, that the Yemeni Pirates, uh, they've shown no uh, yep. desire to back down. They've even attacked uh, battleships. Uh, but the Iranians are also along that line, which they're, you know, they're, they're very uh, religious. They're theocracy, so the religion plays a huge role in it. And so there, there could be, a, if there's an exchange between the U.S. and Iran, and if we put some kind of armaments on the ground in Iran, uh, then you're going to see, you'll, you'll see a $30, $40 rally in crude oil. And if you look at a chart of corn and crude oil and soybeans, they're, they're virtually tracking each other. Mm-hmm. So you have to be prepared for that. Yeah. And whether that means you're going to uh, sell, maybe you replace it with a call option right now when we're cheap, knowing that that long call gives you the confidence to sell your cash 
and you still have a toe in the water going forward. You don't have to you don't have to meet a particular yield or a production level either. You know, mm-hmm. as long as you know what to sell in cash. I want to ask you, uh, circling back to China and your comments about you know China sneezes, world gets a cold. I know we had the Evergrande issues here just a couple of weeks ago. That was a big headline in the market, and just uh, there's been a lot of talk about the Chinese economy. Do you feel like that is that Evergrande issues maybe the start of something here potentially with this Chinese economy situation right now? Um, well, it's certainly a symptom of what's been going on already. Yeah. And, you know, they've thrown a lot of money at it. And the, and the difference between an open financial market and what China has is that uh, we're not going to know the really bad stuff. And they have the ability to throw the money. Uh, you know, they, they, they've got... $13 trillion in, in uh, cash kind of securities, even ours, and they've been liquidating our treasuries for 11 months. So I think they can pretty much, uh, it, it's, it's easier for them to stop a financial market crisis than it is a jobs crisis or what have you. A lot of farmers here and around the country are worried about just the interest rate environment here in the U.S. and that effect on everything from operating loans to buying equipment to the prices in the markets and commodity inflation, deflation, etc. There's been talk that two, three rate cuts might be May now before we see a rate cut. Your thoughts on on the overall inflation state here with the Fed right now and how that's playing into the ag side? I've been around a long time, and the younger people have never seen what normal interest rates are. Yes. And uh, that's another thing I'm going to talk about today, that the cost of U.S. government borrowing has gone up, and we really can't afford it now. Um, And uh, if I needed to borrow money, uh, I, if I didn't need to borrow money and I was young, I'd probably borrow it anyway. Because if you, this may be the lowest interest rates that you'll get for the rest of your life. That would be my forecast. Mm-hmm. And it's a, the non-farm payrolls were strong. Uh, this economy continues to show resiliency. Um, it, once we get off this, the Fed's this, the Fed's that. Um, I, I think we're going to be all right. So I, I would be very afraid. I would I would lock in my operating uh, if I was going to buy some land, if I was going to buy a house, uh, if I was going to buy a car. I wouldn't uh, because they're too expensive. So anyway, that's my view. Yeah, Dave, I got uh, plenty out of a ten minute conversation with you, and I, I do appreciate the time and the the knowledge and the insight. And uh, thank you for joining us here in Nashville. We'll uh, we'll have to uh, continue the conversation again in the uh, in the future, Dave. Thanks so much. Well, I wish the producers luck. I, uh, they they may need it this year, but uh, you know what? We don't know anything that looks like it's positive now, but it's too negative. How's that? Yeah. Once again, a great combo there with Dave Hightower from the Hightower Report last week during the agmarket.net conference in Nashville. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk with Justin Tupper, president of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association here on AOA. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro. The future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Here's a check of the markets on AOA as we are on the ground at the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville, Kentucky here today. Let's take a look at things. USDA Ag Outlook Forum numbers came out early on Thursday morning. Those numbers, uh, I would say, even a little bit uh, friendlier than expected, at least in the case of the corn markets. Uh, The planted acreage number, 91 million acres, with a projected average yield of 181 bushels an acre. Those were right around the average estimates, but that planted acreage 
acreage number was down a little bit. The carryout number came in a little bit lower as well than average estimates, and the production number was down a little bit also. Soybeans were a bit higher, though. Planted acreage, according to USDA, 87.5 million acres with yield at 52 bushels an acre. That increased the carryout from 415 to 435. Wheat numbers came in pretty much in line. Planted acreage, 47 million acres with a yield of 49.5 bushels per acre. Although uh, production was up a little bit from average estimates, carryout did go down just a hair as well. But overall, those numbers pretty much in line with what the uh, trade was expecting. Markets uh, reacting relatively quietly here today to the news as we continue to just have a lot of bearishness in this trade. And the funds uh, just don't have a reason to get out of the short side of these grain markets as we're down a couple of cents here in quarter beans. We've set new contract lows and we are churning around here right around these uh, contract lows as we get going with Thursday's trade. Wheat market's down moderately as well. Safe to say that uh, you know, we put a 425 handle on corn, 1160 on beans or close to it, and we've gotten down to the 570 range here in uh, Chicago and KC wheat. We might have to go a little bit lower here to try and get these markets moving back higher. Mixed action and cattle and hog trade pretty quiet there as we look at Thursday's action. Crude oil's up about 47 cents, 77.11. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen. Everyone has a community to lean on. A neighborhood, school, kids' teams, where you worship, work, work out, or any other place or group where you choose to belong. Communities can provide support when you need it, and even when you don't know you do. Like when it comes to preventing underage drinking and other substance use. You've talked with your kids and shared clear expectations, but you're not with them every minute. Your community members, friends and relatives, teachers and coaches, faith leaders, and other important adults in your kids' lives can be your eyes, ears, and a supportive influence when you're not around, reinforcing your messages with your kids and alerting you to warning signs of underage drinking or other substance use. So talk with your kids about these issues and involve the members of your community to help keep your kids safe. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit talktheyhearyou.samhsa.gov. information America's farmers and ranchers need. AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America. Joining us now for a conversation, it's always great to talk with Justin Tupper, the president of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. Justin, thanks for joining us. I know you are busy. You're in uh, Washington, D.C. for the uh, USDA Outlook Forum here this week. I know you're going to be speaking and more, so really appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Hope all is well. Hey, thanks for having me. Always good to talk, Jesse. Well, let's start with uh, the fact that you're going to be in D.C. here this week talking at the USDA Outlook Forum and more and having conversations with folks. What are some of the things that you're going to be talking about and highlighting during uh, the USDA meeting here this week, Justin? Yeah, I'm going to be talking about uh, the competition in the livestock industry and uh, and really specifically the lack thereof uh, and how important competition is to our cattle markets from top to bottom. And uh, I think that's something that uh, sometimes gets overlooked. And, and we've talked about it a lot on this show and we talk about it a lot at U.S. Cattlemen. Uh, uh, we've got to definitely make sure we always have that second bidder and, and we'd like to have that third, fourth and fifth and sixth bidder. But uh, uh, to get these markets to where they are and make a free market system work we've got to have competition and uh, uh so that's what we're going to be talking about their ag outlook forum well and that lack of competition i know this is something that it's it's nothing new justin like you said we talked about it on this show before many times and i know you guys talk about it a lot there's been various legislation that's been out there to try and uh, change competition in in the industry but really uh, it a lot of the uh, a lot of the issues surround the fact that it seems like everything kind of comes back to the big four doesn't it justin that's exactly right. And then, you know, that's how they've gotten to where they are is by squeezing out competition. And they'd like to continue to do that. That's their big, 
business model. And uh, uh, we've got to definitely rear back and uh, uh, dig our heels in and make sure that, they, that we make them compete. And I think uh, that gets lost sometimes that bigger is always better. And uh, uh, in a lot of cases, it's not. And uh, and we, we can see it now. We have a, a competitive market for one reason and one reason only right now is we're short of numbers. And it shouldn't be that way. We should uh, have a competitive market no matter where the shackle space is or, or the number of cow herds should be. It should always be competitive. And uh, uh, that's that's what we've got to really work hard to protect. Justin, uh, some other issues as well that I know have been uh, talking points in the cattle industry. Uh, traceability, for one. I, I spent time at Cattle Industry Convention earlier this month in Orlando. That was a topic amongst folks who were there. Really wasn't much in the way of new news that came out of that meeting in terms of traceability and the use of you know, RFID tags, etc. I, I know this is a hot-button issue for you guys at U.S. Cattlemen's Association as well as we try to figure out a way forward. I, talk about where things stand right now in terms of the uh, traceability conversation from your perspective. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think uh, this is something that's been talked about for uh, 20 years. I, I remember going to Indianapolis to a convention 20 some years ago and having the same conversations. You know, traceability is important. We've proven uh, that when we've had these outbreaks of TB and different things in the countryside that we've been able to trace them down rather quickly. And to say that uh, mandating RFID tags is going to make it better is really a farce. And, and, and they can't tell us that with any proof for any certainty and they would have to make sure every single animal uh, was tagged for that to be a viable option and and i just don't see that happening so our position at u.s cattlemen is uh, crystal clear uh we are against mandatory id uh if somebody wants to voluntarily use the id tags to try to enhance uh, uh the what they get for their product we're all about that that's good for them we hope that works for them uh but to try to say that uh, we need that as a traceable source is just uh, a pretty outlandish and and pretty far-fetched as being able to do it as a sailborn owner i can tell you there's just no possible way that we could uh, run ten thousand of those through and do a good job for our customers and not shrink them and 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 move them in a, in a speed of commerce that works uh so um, i'm glad to see that it, it got watered down and and nothing happened there but i'm betting it's not the last time we have this discussion I don't think it's the last time we have this discussion either. Um, I guess in, in terms of, of thinking about protecting our herds against, you know, disease outbreaks and foreign animal diseases moving in and things like that. I, what are your thoughts, you know, as a sale barn owner, are there things that we can continue to do? Does it, does it fall back, I, I guess, on, on having good, you know, standards around our operations and things like that, biosecurity measures uh, taken by, by ranchers on their own operations. I mean, where's where's maybe some common ground that that we could find here? Because obviously, there's differences throughout the cattle industry, Justin. No, you're, you're exactly right. And I think we have to make sure that we hold our, our state animal vets in high esteem and make sure that their offices have uh, all the tools they need. So when we do have these issues, uh, uh, that they can uh, get out in the field and get them traced. And, and, and you know, I can tell you that, that we hold in South Dakota, especially in North Dakota, too, because I'm familiar with them very much. So uh, very high esteem. The state vet offices do a great job of understanding uh, who they work for and, and and when a disease of some sort breaks out, uh, what what that has to do and what the risk mitigations are. And I think that's where it needs to stay. Uh, the, the, you start talking about the data that would come from uh, putting all these tags in and who would hold that uh, treasure box or that uh, data uh, would be very interesting. I think the uh, third part of that is is we've got to hold our government and, and uh, their feet to the fire. They talk about importing from Paraguay and some of these places that uh, their industry standards are so much lower than ours uh, that, that we've got to be very careful. We're not trying to be protectionists, but we need to be very careful when we're doing business with some of these places that don't have anywhere near the same health standards as we do. We are talking with Justin Tupper, president of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association here today on AOA. Justin, another topic, of course, I'm sure we continue to hear about and talk about is farm bill or lack of a new five-year farm bill. And it seems like that clock is ticking on us, even though we have until you know September, October before the extension runs out. Uh, presidential politics probably going to play a role in this here. And there's even chatter already that 
it could be 2025 before we get a new farm bill. What's your take on that? What's the latest you've been hearing? You know, the politics is, uh, isn't it something nowadays? And it doesn't matter which side of the aisle you stand on. I think it's crazy. It used to be that the farm bill and uh, those negotiations were non-political. And uh, it seems like politics have crept into that too. And uh, there's no reason to be kicking the can down the road. We, we, we need a farm bill. We know it's 80% uh, food uh, uh, stamps and, and uh, different things that are not even really farm related other than food. Uh, and, and feeding uh, people, but w- w- there's no reason to kick the can down the road. You know that we the, many of the hot button issues have been ironed out uh, through the farm bill. A uh, few details need to be ironed out. But there's no reason not to get to work on that and get it done. And uh, I think we need to hold Congress to make sure that it does not get it kicked down the road another year. Well, obviously, there's so many different things that that we need some more certainty on. And I know that the argument's been out there, well, we got the one-year extension that gives us at least certainty for this year. But, you know, thinking about the last time things were updated, I I think about folks on the grain side, or I'm sure, you know, folks in the livestock industry, there's there's a lot of different price mechanisms and, and things like that that, you know, considering everything we've gone through in the last five, six years with COVID and more, a lot of that's got to get updated here sooner rather than later. Right, Justin? Absolutely. You know, and, and, and just playing politics and moving it down the road doesn't do anybody any good at any time. And, and an extension just extends some of the uh, uh, bad politics that have already been played and then not getting updated with some of these programs and, and getting the price reforms that we need uh, uh, put into the new farm bill, making sure that uh, the indemnity programs work the way they should, making sure the LRP program, uh, it, which has been a good tool for uh, ranchers, uh, gets funded and it can continually be used in a correct and uh, and uh, a way that works for farmers and ranchers. So, yeah, we, we want to make sure that uh, hopefully uh, they get this done and uh, get it done in a timely fashion. Justin, uh, before we wrap up and run out of time here today, obviously you see it firsthand uh, running your sale barn there in South Dakota. Uh, I know there's been a lot of talk about when we could start to rebuild this cow herd. When could we start to retain heifers? Uh, things are at uh, you know historical lows, uh, for lack of a better term. Your thoughts, what you're hearing from your fellow uh, cattlemen and women and ranchers across the country in terms of when we could start to maybe rebuild this cow, uh, this cattle herd? Well, I really think, and, and of course, uh, take into consideration when I start thinking something, it's usually better to run the other way. But uh, <laughs> uh, you, you know, I, I think we're a year away. I, we, we're just not seeing a ton of those uh, retained. And, you know, you look at these bred heifer prices and, and they're good. You know, you talk about uh, 2500 to 3000 That's a good market for a bred heifer. But in comparison to selling some of these feeder calves, you know, an eight-weight steer today is bringing $2,000. Uh, uh, you know, it really hasn't caught up. So I think those are markers that tell you that we're probably not rebuilding the herd just yet. Um, I, I think we're probably a year away and then we could see some pretty good expansion. And of course, depending on environment, uh, weather, always a big factor depending on where you are. But uh, I, I think as far as numbers go, we could be tight, but uh, we seem to uh, just ramp up imports when we tighten our numbers up here. So uh there's always something to talk about always something to work on jesse there definitely is there definitely is and i know folks could stay close with everything going on with the u.s cattlemen's association online uscattleman.org with that justin tupper president of the u.s cattlemen's association appreciate the time during your busy schedule thanks for joining us on aoa we'll get you back on the show again real soon thanks for having me and once again, Justin Tupper there, the president of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. Good to talk with him. A lot of issues out there in the cattle industry that uh, definitely got to try and find some common ground on, on certain issues that are out there uh, in the cattle industry. And uh, good thoughts from Justin and good perspectives from the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. All right, on the way next, we are going to get an update on the U.S. Cotton Trust protocol and enrollment is open right now to join the protocol tillman white with the u.s cotton trust protocol will join us next for a conversation here on aoa agriculture of america back with more right after this hey wouldn't it be great if life came with remote control You know, you could hit pause when you needed to or hit rewind. 
Like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Or that time you forgot to roll up your windows in the car wash. Fantastic. Yeah, a remote control would have come in handy then. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome. But pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes like managing your weight, getting active, stopping smoking, and eating healthier, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. It's easy to learn your risk. Take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Life doesn't come with a remote control. So you're on your own with the wasps. You have the power to take control of pre-diabetes. Visit doihaveprediabetes.org today. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Being blind doesn't always look how others may think. Stargardt disease was supposed to define me. Retinitis pigmentosa aimed to overwhelm my family. It tried to cut me down. A blinding eye disease attempted to force me away from doing what I was born to do. But it cannot stop me. I have the tools. I will keep moving forward. Pushing past the limits of this disability. I know where to find support and where I can be seen. Loss of sight won't blind our vision. Innovative research, educational resources, supportive community. The Foundation Fighting Blindness is leading the charge in finding treatments and cures for blinding diseases. Learn more at fightingblindness.org. A public service message from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. On February's episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we discuss the relationship between the corn and poultry and egg industries with John Del Monte from NCGA, along with Mary Alice Kane and Jenna Gress from the USA Poultry Egg Export Council, known as USAPEAK. We are a trade association. We represent the U.S. poultry and egg industry who exports, and we represent all sectors. Anyone who's touched by exports and is involved in the industry can be a member of USAPEAK. From corn's perspective, uh, obviously the poultry industry is a, you know, is a big customer. So as Mary Alice and Jenna both spoke to, you know, exports are obviously an area that they specialize in. Exports account for 28 cents a bushel to the value of corn. So corn has a very vested interest in what poultry exports are doing. Join us the first Wednesday of every month for the monthly grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. Our experienced attorneys are standing by to evaluate whether you have a lung cancer claim that qualifies you for a cash award. The consultation is absolutely free and there is no risk and no money out of pocket. We only receive a fee when we secure you and your family a settlement. 250,000 people are diagnosed with lung cancer every year. You're not alone in this battle. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and that medical expenses are covered. Again, if you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over age 60, call now. Don't delay. There are deadlines for filing claims. We're standing by 24-7. Call us at 1-844-903-1744. 1-844-903-1744. That's 1-844-903-1744. Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Granton, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. National FFA Week is February 17th through the 24th, a week set aside for FFA students across the country to share how FFA impacts members every day. I'm National FFA Secretary Grant Norfleet from Missouri. What better way to show your support of FFA than to get involved in FFA Week? Whether it's in person, on the phone, or via social media, be sure to share your FFA stories during hashtag FFA Week, February 17th through the 24th.
keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America. Well, joining us now, pleased to have a conversation with Tillman White, Program Manager with the Cotton Trust Protocol. Tillman, it's great to have you back on AOA with us. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, thank you, Jesse. It's good to be back. Well, we got a few things to talk about and to catch up on with the uh, Cotton Trust Protocol here. And I know that, uh, first off, uh, you guys have announced that growers can now enroll in the initiative and apply for the, and apply for the U.S. Climate Smart Cotton Program. So talk about that just to start now that enrollment uh, is uh, available here. And what are folks looking at with this program and joining the initiative? Yes, sir. So you're right. We uh, we just opened up our 2024 enrollment for the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol and at the same time, the U.S. Climate Smart Cotton Program. So we opened up enrollment at the beginning of January where producers can go in and enroll into the protocol and also fill out applications for Climate Smart. And the enrollment timeline we're looking at, again, is open up in January and closing that around April 30th uh, at midnight. So um, currently, we have the 24 enrollment open where producers can go in and, and, of course, enroll in the protocol, but also learn more about the Climate Smart Cotton Program. And um, also, I'd like to say that growers who completed the enrollment during the, the 2023, um, they need to re-enroll for 2024 again. So it's, it's open this January and we're closing it around April 30th. Let's break these down uh, separately a little bit, too, here. Uh, as far as the uh, U.S. Cotton Trust protocol enrollment, talk about the, enrolling in the protocol and why why growers should do it. What what are the benefits of enrolling uh, just in the Cotton Trust protocol uh, overall? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I'd say for growers who are, are not you know familiar with the Trust protocol and never enrolled into the program, um, our program, it's a initiative that's free for our producers. It's a voluntary program that provides farm-level science-based um, sustainability metrics within our program that is designed to set a new standard for delivering value from the fiber all the way to the finished products. Uh, currently, there's a lot of increased pressure and scrutiny um, on sustainability in in the cotton industry and in, in agriculture in general, but the Trust Protocol provides access to more sustainably grown cotton for our end users or brands of retailers, uh, with also providing science-based and data-led assurances for our consumers. And in addition for U.S. cotton growers, joining the Trust Protocol helps secure that U.S. cotton remains a leader in global production and provides not only access to a viable market for our producers, but provides them with personalized data to help improve their sustainability and their yield. And since the Trust Protocols launched back in 2020, the program has already welcomed more than 2,000 supplier members across 12 different countries and also 40 companies, including their brands and retailers such as Ralph Lauren, Levi Strauss, Macy's, and J. Crew. Okay. All right. Great stuff there. Well, and you mentioned the sustainability aspect, and I think that, of course, ties into the U.S. Climate Smart Cotton Program. So talk about that a little bit more for us and kind of expand on your thoughts there in terms of sustainability, not just in, in the cotton side of the industry, but across agriculture as a whole. Yeah. So to kind of expand on the Climate Smart Cotton Program. So our program, again, under the umbrella of the Trust Protocol is laid out in three different levels. So we have um, level one where growers enroll into the Trust Protocol and fill out an application based on their farming entity. And then level two is where a producer wants to look at adopting climate smart cotton practices. So maybe they've never looked at cover crops or adopting a nutrient management plan or even going to a no-till system. That's where the level two plays in for the climate smart cotton program. And their producers can document information about their their production practices and, and looking to adopt those new practices. And going further, looking at level three, that's where we're looking to capture the carbon sequestration or the carbon that's um, captured based on their practices that they might adopt. So if they adopt cover crops, that's where we're looking at the level three aspect is what kind of carbon is being sequestered based on the, the cover crop adoption. So that's kind of the three levels that's based, that's included in the Climate Smart Cotton Program at a high level. And um, looking at this past year when we opened the Climate Smart Cotton Program, we 
we had around 778 farming entities enroll into that level one where they fill out an application based on their farming entity. And um, as a program overall, we're looking at to capture 1,650. So we we almost met around 50% of the enrollees for level one, which was encouraging to see. And um, to date, close to around $1.5 million in payments have been made to those producers that enrolled into level one. And we also see some of our producers engaging in level two as well and beginning that process to hopefully uh, jump into level three of the Climate Smart Cotton program. All right. Well, I appreciate the uh, the rundown on things, uh, Tillman. Uh, good stuff. I know there's some key dates coming up as well. Uh, talk about some of those key dates that are in front of us for uh, both programs, if you can. Yeah, I think uh, one of the the first thing to, to note is, of course, the protocol enrollment um, opening up in January, ending at the end of April. And again, at the same time, the producers who enroll in the protocol, if they want to participate in the Climate Smart Cotton Program, specifically with Level 1, they would also want to enroll during that same timeline of January to April. But also, I'd like to include that the producers who enrolled in Climate Smart this past year, in 2023, um, we would like for them to um, note that in order to receive payments based on that farming entity to have their bells uploaded, uh, no later than March 1st of this year. So we're trying to um, get all that information finalized for those producers who participated last year. And for the guys, again, who are new, um, for the producers that are new this year, um, the timeline for January to April is important for the protocol enrollment and that climate smart participation. Well, Tillman, if uh, folks want to learn more, I'm sure they can go online, trustuscotton.org to get much more information, can't they? Yes, sir. That's correct. They can go to our website where they can, you know, go through all our different uh, information for all of our members, not only from the, you know, producer perspective, but also to the brands and retailers and the different roles our members play. And also, we have a new section on our website for the Climate Smart Program. So they can go under there, um, learn about the Climate Smart, you know, cotton program and all the different levels and how they can participate there. TrustUSCotton.org for more information. With that, Tillman White, Program Manager with the Cotton Trust Protocol. Thanks for joining us on AOA, Tillman. Appreciate the time. Yes, sir. Thank you, Jesse. And that wraps up today's AOA. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. Now. We tend not to think about now. We dream about tomorrow, relive yesterday. But sometimes we don't see what's right in front of us. Victory over cancer is in front of us. Right now. Cancer Research is saving lives. Cancer Research, funded by the V Foundation, is leading to new discoveries and new treatments, and ultimately, one day, victory over cancer. Right now, one out of every two men and one out of every three women will get cancer in their lifetime. Now is your moment. You may save someone you love. The V Foundation has the skill, the speed, and the strength to achieve victory over cancer. Because today's cancer research is tomorrow's victory. Learn more at v.org. Don't give up. Don't ever give up.